This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday, time for our Zoomer squad. And as we all anxiously await more information on the Omicron variant, there's worry that other health issues are being neglected. First, the importance of high-dose flu shots for people over 65. And CARP has been trying to measure something that we've been talking about since the beginning, and that is delays in cancer treatment, because there definitely have been delays, though, depending on where you are, the most urgent cases have been dealt with. But also there have been delays in screening, which means that a lot of cancers were not caught or were not caught early. So uh, what do you think about that? Have you had experience of either of these things? And have you got your flu shot? What in the midst of all the preoccupation with vaccines and boosters? The number Numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to our squad, David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Membership Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, and Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Hey, guys. Hi, Libby. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon, Libby. Have, have you all had your flu shot? Yes, absolutely. David? Yes, I, I was the one. Oh, said. sir, Peter then. No, oh, I haven't yet. You haven't yet. No. Okay. We're giving you a shot to go get it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, Bill, you're concerned that in the midst of all of this, uh, somehow flu shots are getting lost? Yeah, we're hearing that uh, from a, a number of uh, uh, places. And uh, basically... What the misunderstanding seems to be is that folks seem to feel that since they've had their COVID shots, they won't need their flu shot this year. And that's absolutely untrue. We know that was the case in Australia, who always have their flu season prior to us. And even as as late as on Friday, I was talking with a health business colleague whose husband uh, informed her that he didn't think he needed his flu shot because... Uh, He'd already had his COVID shot, so there's somebody really close to the real information, and even he didn't uh, know that. People have to understand that uh, uh, the flu vaccine, especially for for older Ontarians, the high dose, which is now available uh, at no no charge to all seniors in Ontario, we have to get that uh, flu vaccine because the risks are, in fact, even greater this year. Well, exactly right. Now, I remember reporting, first of all, that uh, that some authorities were expecting a resurgence of the flu, a bad flu year, because uh, there was almost none last year. And also they were saying, hey, you could even get it at the exact same time as a COVID shot. Yes, you can. You can get uh, you can get uh, a co-application. You can get uh, uh, kind of two jabs for the price of one. Uh, David, what what what's your take on this? Well, I think Bill's right. You have to get everything, and I think that you can get them both. And um, I know that when I went into my local uh, uh, pharmacy to get the, the high dose flu. I could have received my COVID booster, and the only thing stopping me was that I haven't gone through enough days since I got my second shot at the end of June. But they were ready to give it to me, but they couldn't, you know, because of the calendar thing. But I could walk in and get that, too. So it's there. It's available. Um, I did see a fairly brisk, um, you know, attendance level. This is only anecdotal at my local uh, pharmacy. So I, I don't think there's, like... No knowledge of this, but I do agree with Bill that it can be a bit confusing, and a lot of people might think they're protected because of COVID, uh, and that the flu is, you know, lesser important. But anything that weakens your system, anything that protects you, 
conversely against uh, getting flu or getting anything that weakens your system, you you really should be taking every precaution you possibly can. Uh, well, yeah, and I remember at the very beginning of the season, like really early, there were a lot of uh, people who call into our show who had already had theirs. But then after a couple of weeks, and I'm talking about it in October, uh, it was really hard to find a flu dose. As some people got restocked, but uh, there's still, I mean, here... Here in Ontario, here in Toronto, public health kind of controls the stocks of it. Yes, uh, they, they, they are. And once again this year, this is the third year in a row we've talked about it specifically in Ontario, the delivery process for the flu shot to the uh, physicians, uh, health providers and the pharmacy has not been uh, efficient. In fact, uh, CARP uh, wrote to the Minister of Health uh, beginning of last, uh, or the, the end of the week before. So it's been two weeks now asking what was, was being done about this issue. And we have not had an answer. In fact, we haven't even had an acknowledgement of the letter yet. Maybe somebody at the Department of Health is listening to us right now and we'll find out why we haven't got the answer. So what are they doing about making sure that when people go and ask for their vaccine, it's actually there for them to have it? Uh, good question, Bill. Uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, or David mentioned, that that he noticed that the pharmacies, there are lots of people in the pharmacies. Well, um, I've just come back from my first trip out of the country. So first of all, uh, getting an appointment or getting in to get that antigen, you need an antigen test to get uh, into the United States. So just finding a pharmacy that had a slot uh, so that you could get this test was not easy. And uh, the one that I finally went to, and I think the others, they have people slotted in every 10 minutes at 40 bucks a pop. So I think that's a pretty good business. But, you know, it's I was almost getting worried, you know, are we going to be able to get this test? And then, of course, uh, when when we left, to go to the States, no one checked the antigen test and no one checked the vaccine passport, though they were extremely strict when we were coming back. Well, I think that's yeah, right. I think that's, that, that comports with uh, our experience. Uh, our daughter traveled to, to the U.S. and uh, um, we were all over it ahead of time, phoning the pharmacy, making sure there was an appointment because you've got a window. It's got to be, I think, within X number of hours of your actual trip, so you can't go too far ahead of time. Right. And that, that required a little bit of, you know, threading the needle. To We did get the appointment, but you're quite right. Um, there were people you know, cycling through there every, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And so there, the business was brisk, but you needed to stay on your toes. And I think this speaks to, to the big issue now that everybody needs to be much more proactive and vigilant, whether it's vaccines, whether it's boosters, whether it's antigens. It isn't just going to happen by itself, you know, when you feel like uh, getting around to it. You've really got to watch it and stay on top of it all. Well, speaking of that, I want to t- I want to talk a little bit about our trip, but uh, just in general, Zoomers and traveling and the kind of damper this new variant is is probably putting on that. So, uh, Doug and I, my husband and I, went to New York City. We have not been for quite a while, and. Uh, it was true what we had heard, that, that New Yorkers are pretty responsible. They are very good about masking. They are very good about checking vaccine passports. For half the trip, the weather was really quite warm. Uh, people sit outside a lot. But the one thing that was a bit jarring, I'll say, was uh, there are crowds in New York. I mean, not a big surprise. So uh, kind of more people around than usual. So it, it was it was terrific. But, you know, I when I talk to my friends or other people, travel, you know, people are really talking about travel and when, where they're going to go. This is as of a week ago. And then suddenly there's this thing. Peter. Yeah. And, you know, Libby, in a way, I, I'd, I'd rather uh, that your experts that you have in the second half hour of the show were first so we could hear what they had to say about it. Because, you know, um, just speaking to one of my coworkers who is planning to travel home for the first time in ages, uh, she's worried now about uh, 
you know, what, what this is going to mean, whether we're going to see border closures again, you know, whether countries are going to try to get on top of it and just, just cut off all travel right away. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying that's the worry going through people's minds. And um, it's definitely uh, caused people to, you know, it's a, it's a setback in the, in their plans. They thought it was all going to go swimmingly. All they needed was was the uh, PCR test, but now now this thing is out there, and and you know I, I you know it's going to be a tense few days to to hear what the experts say about it and uh, whether it's going to affect plans or not. Well, I'm I'm I have a hunch it's going to take longer than a few days. I mean, just speaking for myself, I know one of my my best friend, she was going on about South Africa and she was literally ready to plunk down a deposit. Wow. Cuz she loves nature and animals and yeah. and this happened. It's like it's good you didn't put your money down. But I'm I'm also interested in the psychology of it cuz the people that I know that are snowbirds some of them are already back there, but um, David, what have you found in terms of a you know a kind of the psychological aspect of this? Well, I think people are looking for some level of uh, predictability or security in an environment where there really is none because the information changes too fast. But I think there's, for example, you just touched on snowbirds, so I think there's a big difference in the market. Um, between people who have a place to go to, let's say, in Florida, which actually has the, the lowest uh, COVID incidence in the U.S. right now. Um, I know where I'm living. I know the street. I have my unit. I can go down there. I can I, I kind of wrap my arms around what that means versus I'm going to book a cruise. I'm going to get on a plane, going to a country, a, a very different country than I've ever been. Gosh, maybe... I better rethink this. Maybe I can't get in. Who knows what their requirements are and so on. So I think you're going to see the travel market sort of segment into predictable locations and predictable destinations that I perceive, rightly or wrongly, that I kind of have a handle on, and new stuff. And I think the new stuff is where you're going to see a lot of either cancellations or hesitations or just, you know, wait and see, because there's, it, it's just too unknown. Bill, what are you hearing from the people you're in touch with? Yeah, well, like uh, like Peter, I'm really hoping that in your second half hour, we'll be able to get more facts from, uh, from the experts, because what I'm hearing from uh, uh, CARP uh, members is they're 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 very concerned. They thought that uh, we were coming out of this, and then this weekend, between uh, the Omicron virus uh, uh, being announced and uh, a record number of cases uh, here in Ontario, they're they're worried again. In fact, uh, the kind of response we've gotten is similar to the results. I don't know how many people have seen the Star poll this morning. They show that uh, uh, between. Uh, very sure, and, and almost 80% of people are very concerned that Canada is not ready uh, for this uh, variant. And then they, they tell me, say, look, we, we listened to, to the World Health Organization, who we're, we're supposed to believe in, and they're saying, oh, well, uh, the symptoms associated with this uh, Omicron aren't uh, much different from those and other variants. And then we've got uh, Dr. Moore uh, saying Ontario's ready, it's prepared, and we're ready to respond. And uh, then the science advisory table, uh, Dr. Judy, uh, says, well, we better be more cautious about pandemic measures. and got to keep masking and indoor spaces have to be well ventilated. He's, he's raising the flag again. People don't know what to believe. And this kind of, of, of uh, in... Uh, 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 lack of understanding of what's really happening, the kind of misinformation that they're they're getting is really worrying CARP members. Well, you know, you've got to give it a little bit of a chance, I think, for people to sort it out. I have to say this. Personally speaking, I have very little, limited faith in what the World Health Organization says. Um, and I think a lot of it is political because they say don't have a travel ban. And uh, in my opinion, they were at least somewhat kowtowing to China when this thing first happened. Uh, we're going to have Dr. Yuni on uh, towards the end of the show, so people stick around to see what he has to say. What people have been saying, what authorities have been saying all along is, okay, 
We're vaccinated. We're starting to open up. But but people like we have to keep doing what we've been doing, which is masking distance and, you know, washing our hands. Uh, and frankly, we're all used to that. So what's a big deal? <laughs> but Libby, the, Libby, the, um, just out of interest, like when you were traveling, were you, were you did you have a level of worry at all or were, were you pretty confident that uh... I, I would say that there were. OK, so uh, like I said, they're they they are masked a lot of them even in the street that's great uh check vaccine passports that that's great but uh new york is crowded and i was in a number of situations where it was crowded i mean we we watched the christmas windows being unveiled at bergdorf's and i tried to stay outside the rope but it was still you know a little crowded and some of the restaurants They've, they're only, they haven't been open that long as they are here, so they're really packing them in. And in a restaurant, you know, you're unmasked. So there were a couple of times when I thought, mm, I don't know. And uh, we were on a ferry that was probably a touch crowded, but people were masked there. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was the only thing. And I can tell you that I don't think I would have been comfortable even though Florida has good numbers, going to a place where they don't believe in masks and they don't believe in whatever they don't believe in. And uh, I've, I've heard from people who've been in those parts of the United States and they say, ah, nobody's wearing a mask. Even in London, I have friends who've back from London saying most people don't bother wearing masks and their case counts are through the roof. They're through the roof, yeah. Uh, So I'm wondering, I mean, you know, this is the time people are making their plans. And I know most people were planning to get together for the holidays. Do you think that those plans are going to change? I I don't mean on a macro level. I mean, you know, on an individual level. David, you, you have to decide. Are you getting together with your little grandchildren? Yes, we are right now, but everything is up for grabs. And I think the I think the the problem here is that the longer this goes on, it's a paradox. The more information we get, but the more information we get, the more uncertainty we get. So let's take a look at Omicron. What we know about it so far is pretty much nothing. <laughs> we're yeah. hearing we're hearing anecdotally from South Africa that the that the actual cases when you do get it are very mild. Is that true? Is that political? Do they have a vested interest in portraying it that way? What's it doing to their hospital system? And I can't ask the authorities in Ontario <clears throat> to know what they don't know yet. So they're as much a prisoner of incomplete data as as I am. So looking forward, we're keeping all of our plan. We've already been visiting. I've already been visiting my uh, my grandson every uh, week for weeks now uh, without any um, we're all we're all vaccinated um, and uh, you know we're doing what we're doing but if, if somebody says suddenly wait a minute this thing is spreading like wildfire and you're very vulnerable to getting it um, then of course all plans would change so the again the bottom line is you have to keep your eyes open and keep up to date and be ready to adapt as the new information comes in is your grandson getting his uh, you know (laughs) is your grandson getting his shot well there's a there's an issue there i don't want i mean he's got there's some allergy issues there but yes um the pediatrician my my daughter will be taking the advice of the pediatrician and will make sure that the vaccine is delivered by the pediatrician um so that you know it's medically uh it's medically okay but um He's going to school, and um, so far there haven't been any problems. I mean, we're literally four months into the school year, and he's at school every day. And um, my daughter's a teacher, and she's at school every day, and, uh, of course, she's vaccinated. So we're doing the best we can, but Omicron is a new variable, and we just have to keep our eyes open and uh, listen to the uh, to the X-ray. The bottom line is I think you just got to get every shot you can get your hands on to protect yourself to the max. Because that is something we do have control over. We can control, did I get the vaccine or didn't I? Whether it's flu, whether it's uh, COVID. And at least get those boxes checked off. And uh, I think most seniors by now have done that and are doing that, I'm glad to say. Well, it's it's interesting because one of the things people bring up saying, you know, there were a number of mutations that didn't amount to much, like the Lambda. Uh, so if we are... 
at the same level of not understanding, you know, we're, we've really kind of ramped up the response this time. Well, I think so. I think there's a bit of a panic going on now uh, around this uh, Omicron. Um, and we'll see when the data shakes out a week from now, five days from now, whatever it is. And they kind of get their handle. I agree with you completely, Libby. I think that the World Health has got no credibility left on on to, to, on these topics. And I, I'm ready to listen to what the people running Ontario have to say, um, because they have the knowledge, they have the um, the resources, they know how many hospital beds they are. They have the you know, we know what the climate is, we know what the weather is, we know what the population counts are. And I think we just have to keep very vigilant on that. Well, I I don't want to get into this too far because I'm going to be tackling it in the second half. But, you know, my take, one of the things I'm worried about uh, or interested in is is the take on travel bans because you have two diametrically opposed opinions. There are some people who say they don't work, forget it. And uh, others, like Kieran Moore here, saying uh, a travel ban is uh, our best defense, keeping people out from those parts of the world. And I think, frankly, that uh, the views on that aspect, uh, they're also political. They're completely political. <laughs> it's very, or at least very political. It's, but doesn't uh, it all, doesn't it all sound to a bit like something. two years ago when we were talking about another ban that was, uh, you know, at, at that point, um, you know, uh, any travel ban to China was considered racist by the well, exactly, and and now they they're very quick to. <laughs> to slap a ban on and not worry about racism or not, you know. So it, Well, it, the thing is that it, it did work to a certain extent, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if so, it was always applied selectively, then the public looks at that and says, well, you know, it's, it's, it may be a good thing. I'm not even opposed to it, but it's obviously not just driven by science. Canada sent thousands of people to the Glasgow Global Warming Conference. Uh, why? Why couldn't it? Why couldn't the whole thing have been been done by Zoom? Um, Thirty. How many went in private jets? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think the total attendance, not just Canada, was thirty thousand. So, if, if you're that concerned uh, about a COVID or b your carbon footprint, why are you doing this? So, the average, you know, I, person in the public, Joe Public, looks at it and says, "Wait a minute, you're willing to fly there under those circumstances? You're willing to open up that for those circumstances?" Um, so how can you say it's only driven by science when it's clearly driven by, you know, performance art? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all, um, it's all very interesting. And, uh, again, you know, I just think that just coming at this time, even though we've been warned, hey, you know, cases are going to go up as the weather gets colder. I just, I just think it's sort of like, you know, putting a pin in people's balloons, Absolutely. Even those of us who were who will remain careful. Yeah, but you're you're absolutely right, and and it's just like a uh, like a bad reminder of last year and the year before, and oh, here we are again. So hopefully, I mean, it, it's it's reminiscent, but hopefully, like you say, Libby, maybe it's just a variant that that will not reach our borders like Lambda or just be over overwrought. Maybe we're just overwrought from past two years' experience, but. Uh, but I don't even know. I don't even know. To your point, I don't even know what cases are going up even means. Uh, therefore, hospitalizations are going up. Therefore, deaths are going up. Therefore, the system is on the brink of collapse again. Uh, Dr. Fauci has said, um, it, pre-Omicron, in fairness to him, last week that we've reached a point where we can just live with this. That there's always going to be more cases, but we've kind of absorbed the worst of it, and there's going to it, we we can't keep we can't expect zero case loads. So let's just get on with it. Uh, is he right? Is he wrong? Is he should we be panicking? Is this some new threat? It's very confusing and difficult to know, and I don't envy the the healthcare professionals trying to advise us, but they should be aware that the climate of uncertainty and multiple sources of information and multiple theories is very busy right now. The noise level and the, the, the landscape is crowded, and it's very difficult to pick your way through what it all means. Uh, I'm just looking at the time. We're almost out of time, and I haven't even uh, got 
to, uh, you know, something important that Bill brought up, and that is, uh, we've been talking about it throughout the piece here, is is delays in cancer treatment, delays in cancer screening, and, and Bill, you did a survey on that. We, we did. We did a survey, and uh, it showed that 25% of the people answering the survey said there had been delays in uh, getting their procedures. Almost 50% said it's taking too long to get uh, appointments, much longer than they were uh, uh, used to. Um, they said there weren't enough services available, especially outside uh, cities. And it takes too long to start uh, 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 treatments from the time of diagnosis. And all of these seem to be related to, uh, to COVID. And uh, 88% of them said that the provincial uh, government really needs to invest more money and increase the services. Uh, the, the, the effect of COVID on cancer has been tremendous. Well, and if I, I might mention uh, maybe tomorrow... Uh, at uh, at one o'clock Eastern, uh, right after your show, we're doing an online uh, cancer uh, webinar where we're going to be addressing all of these uh, uh, topics, and people can find out about the webinar by going to our website at carp.ca. Well, also, uh, we are, uh, our station is spearheading a radiothon in support of Princess Margaret Cancer Foundation. Right. Uh, so uh, there's going to be a lot of information on both radio stations here throughout the day, and we'll be handling this at 1230. And I think most of our listeners know that I have uh, quite an incredible story. Uh, they saved my life at Princess Margaret, and uh, it's really uh, a treasure for us to have it is, it in is. this province it and it, it, it is it it is a problem for people who live outside the major cancer centers uh trying to get treatment um yeah so bill i think uh we'll we'll talk more about this next week it's it's obviously important and then there's the whole issue of of the screening del- delayed screening you know leads to delayed cancer treatment that's right. So one of the pieces of advice we have for people is manage your own care and demand uh, attention and don't, don't just don't sit back and wait to, for the system to uh, tell you they're ready to take you. Okay, well, uh, that is good advice. Again, I'm looking at the clock. I've got to wrap things up. Uh, happy Hanukkah to those who happy celebrate. <laughs> don't Thank eat too you. much happy fried food. <laughs> yes, latkes last night were delicious. Oh, really? Okay. Okay, thank you so much to our Zoomer squad, Bill Van Gorder, Peter Mugridge, and David Kravitz. Thanks, Libby. Thank you, Libby. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. We're going to take a break, and then, as promised, we're going to try to get to the bottom of things regarding the new Omicron variant that everyone is so worried about. So stick around. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are anxiously awaiting more information about the new Omicron variant. Specifically, does it respond to our vaccines? Does it cause disease that is more or less severe than the Delta variant that we've been grappling with? And are we doing enough? Canada is one of the countries that has banned travelers from South African countries, countries in Southern Africa. And this, although the two cases we've identified in our country, were found in people coming from Nigeria, a country that's not on the list. And there seems to be a big divide, with some experts saying travel bans are our best defense, while others argue that they just don't work. So the numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's welcome Dr. Amber D'Souza, who is a professor of epidemiology at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health in Baltimore, Maryland. Dr. D'Souza, thank you so much for being with us. Hi there, it's my pleasure. Well, so first of all, uh, we're getting uh, 
a little bit of mixed messaging. So we're very worried about this variant. But some of the things that we've been hearing is that it, it, it doesn't cause very severe disease. Is that accurate? I don't think we know yet. Um, we have only known about Omicron for a very short period of time, and we don't yet have answers um, to how how severe it is and whether the mutations that are there are any different, uh, you know, make us sicker than the regular coronavirus. Mm-hmm. What about the transmissibility of it? Yeah, oh, <laughs> again, we really don't know. What we do know is that it appears to be becoming the dominant type in South Africa fairly quickly, which suggests that it's very efficient in transmission, uh, in transmission. so it may spread more quickly or more easily um, than previous coronavirus strains, but we don't really know that yet. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing that I read, and again, I mean, who knows, is that uh, it, it uh, is more likely to reinfect people who have already recovered. There was a, a little bit of a suggestion of that in initial data. We, uh, so there are more mutations in this version, um, this variant of coronavirus. And when there are more mutations, it can lead to a possibility where your immune system, um, if it is already primed to coronavirus, either from vaccination or from having had COVID before, if the mutations are different enough, then it's, our immune surveillance can miss it. So that may be the case with Omicron, but we do not have strong enough data to clearly know that yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the data, would, wouldn't the data for that be the number of people uh, who come down with it who have already had a previous case? Yes, looking at reinfection, um, so breakthrough cases in vaccinated people and in people who have previously had COVID uh, getting reinfected, we know already with the variants we have, for example, with Delta variant, people who have had prior COVID infections, absolutely, that provides some level of protection, but it appears to be somewhat short-lived. They can get COVID again. We see reinfection even with the strains that we have now. Um, and it may be that Omicron is able to uh, reinfect people who have previously had COVID uh, more easily than previous strains. One of the things I heard from a South African doctor is that she said the symptoms might be different, that this one does not cause the loss of taste and smell. Do we, do we really know enough to say that for sure, or is that just maybe anecdotal? I I haven't seen data on that yet. This is quickly emerging. What I would say in terms of Omicron, there are, you know, multiple reasons why this is dominating so much news today, and, and that is that we know that infectious diseases mutate, and this has been something we have been worried about as a possibility that with the continued wide global spread of coronavirus, a mutation um, would evolve that um, is more lethal, spreads more quickly, or is able to escape um, the vaccines that we um, have. Those are the concerns. We do not yet know that any of that is the case with Omicron. So I do think it is really important to collect data over these next two weeks, and it will take time, uh, take time, several weeks, to really know. And we can look at who is being hospitalized with Omicron as a very good indicator of uh, some, of these, some of these answers. What are their symptoms? Are these people who have uh, previous immunity to coronavirus? And do you know who is being hospitalized? Uh, not yet. I have not seen that data yet. Um, yeah. So one of the questions I have is that we've had other mutations before, and some, like the Lambda, didn't amount to very much, and people were not that uh, exercised about it. So what is different about this one that has everyone so much on guard? Yeah, well, of course, we hope that the same will be true of Omicron, and that is possible. The The reason that there is concern about this, that it has um, been designated a variant of concern, is that there are many different mutations in Omicron. So it has multiple mutations, more than we have seen in other variants. Um, and that is a, a reason for concern, because potentially that means it could have a change that would not be recognized um, by our immune systems that are primed to the previous strains, although, of course, when developing the 
the vaccines, a lot of thought was put into that. And there is hope so far those vaccines have done a very good job um, at, at remaining very protective against uh, severe disease across the variants that have emerged to date. And we don't have any evidence to suggest that that is different um, for Omicron yet. But again, we do know that it is spreading quickly. Um, and that the genetic sequencing suggests there are many mutations, um, which is the reason that we want to uh, keep an eye on this and see whether it is um, more harmful to our immune systems um, or not as resilient um, against our current vaccine. One of the things that people say is that it was first discovered in South Africa, but that doesn't mean it originated there. Oh, definitely. Um, and in your introduction where you were talking about travel bans, a lot of that has to do with the fact that we only know about variants when we test. And, um, you know, there's not widespread testing in, in many countries. Um, and so we, South Africa, which has a, a, a very good uh, testing system and has really collected some very good initial data and shared it very quickly with the world, um, you know, was able to see the emergence of this variant. We know in a very short period of just the past few days how many other countries that have looked have also seen that this variant is there. But it does it does not mean that it originated in South Africa because it was first detected there. It, it may have originated in another South African country, or indeed it's even possible it originated somewhere else and was first detected in South Africa. Well, um, we have two cases here that we know of, and and they're both in people who traveled from Nigeria, and we have a travel ban, but Nigeria is not on that list. Yeah, and and that gets to the limitations. So travel bans can work to slow down the spread if if they're detect if they're put into place very early when the infection is localized. That already is not the case with Omicron. Omicron is already in so many different countries that uh, you know the. the Banning um, travel from certain countries where there is an outbreak may reduce the transmission here, but we know that it's in other countries that are not on the ban where it can still come. So it's not likely to be very effective because by the time the ban has been put in place, there's already cases here. And what are you doing in the United States, if I may ask? Um, what do you mean? In terms of travel bans, is there are are, are any are the are any are flights from any countries banned in the states? You know, I I this changes so quickly by the minute. I I don't want to. I don't know that I can accurately describe what's being done right now. Okay. Um, there there I believe there is a travel ban in place, but which countries are represented? I I don't have on the tip of my tongue. And is is Israel, for instance, has now banned all foreigners. Is that, uh, is, is that, in your opinion, overkill, or is that smart? Oh, uh, you know, in certain places, uh, you know, such as Australia, had put a travel, a very restricted travel ban early on, and because they're an island and can do that, um, can really restrict travel, I think it did uh, dramatically reduce their risk. But for landlocked countries where there's, um, you know, back and forth, you know, limiting just um, air travel when people are coming in and out of the country in other ways it's is really effective so um, you, you would can I interpret that mm-hmm. to mean you think it's overkill <laughs> um, I mean putting restrictions in place when there is a surging um, variant of concern is is you know, the question of whether it's overkill really becomes the pros and cons of restrictions. So I, I think that it appears Omicron is already spreading quickly enough that it is going to spread globally, but that slow can be slowed by some of these protective measures, including decreased travel. So I don't know that that's overkill. It really depends on the balancing of, of the goals and, and whether the time um, the, the the slowing of the emergence of that into a country, what is done with that time? Uh, did, in, in your opinion, does this uh, complicate, say, the rollout of boosters? We're, we're in the midst of doing that here in Canada. I know that you're further along in the United States. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, you know, the drug makers are saying, hey, uh, w- we think it'll likely protect, but if not, you know, we can, we can come up with something else in a matter of months. No, I don't think it should impact bo- the, the booster um, vaccine program. And this is the reason why. 
We know the emergence of variants is always a concern. We do not yet have the data we need to know about Omicron. We have a, we have a vaccine that we know is highly effective against the current variants and that the booster shot is an important piece. We have clear data demonstrating how that boosts immunity and uh, significantly improves um, protection against severe disease. So that is the tool that we have in hand that is working against existing variants. Um, We don't know yet the answer on, on Omicron, so that's a question mark, but it's certainly hopeful that it would work. And if even if it had reduced efficacy against Omicron, it's going to protect against the other circulating variants. So I think it's full steam ahead with the protection, the protective measures that we have in hand while we need to really make sure to quickly collect what data we can to understand what is going on with Omicron. And the truth is, if this variant is like some of the other variants of concern where we kept an eye on them and it was not the worst case scenario, they did not end up um, having mutated enough to escape the tools in hand, that's great news, and it doesn't mean in the future that there won't be another variant that does escape. So whether it's this variant or a future variant, our goals remain the same. We need to get uh, high immunity as a population and continue with our vaccine program. We need to expand that access globally because wherever the virus is circulating, if we have high vaccine vaccination in some countries but not others, variants can continue to emerge in those other countries. So our goal for this next year remains the same. So do you think that it will, this is like a political question, but increase the drive to get the world vaccinated to, you know, make people more inclined to, uh, you know, give give vaccines to countries that are poor countries? I mean, I think the the mandate for that is is really clear that uh, we are all in this together. When there is an infectious disease like this, it is a global problem. So um, I don't think this increases the mandate any more than it was before, but that mandate is crystal clear that we, we need to continue this year. I have a lot of hope that throughout this winter and going into next year, we're going to continue to expand vaccine access and um, to try to make 2022 um, hopefully be a year we can really reduce the circulation of this virus and, and get a handle on it. Now, Omicron may throw a really serious wrench into it if any of these concerns, these worst case, you know, concerns pan out to be true, which they could. We do not know that yet. How long do you think it'll take for uh, scientists to get the data uh, that, that you need to make these determinations? Mm-hmm. Well, in the short term, in only, you know, a few weeks, I think we can really get a good um, uh, assessment of uh, hospitalized cases in those countries where they know Omicron is, is surging, such as in South Africa. And I know Dr. Fauci suggested within two weeks he thought that there could be some real data on, on that. So that will be an initial. That won't answer all of our questions about all of the symptoms and the transmission, but that will really help us um, to at least have a clear sense of how much, how much danger this may pose. Dr. D'Souza, anything else you'd like to leave us with? Have I left anything out? (laughs) I think you've covered it. We've made a lot of progress over the last year. This really is a a variant that could potentially um, be very serious, and I think we do need to keep an eye on it, but we're going to need to to wait a little longer to to be sure. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Amber D'Souza. Pleasure talking to you. Okay, uh, we are going to take a break and we'll get some more on this locally, Dr. Peter Uni, when we come back. And if you have some questions, we can still get them answered. 416 360 toll free 866 740 and we'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Now let's bring in Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of the Province's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. Hi, Dr. Uni. Hi, Libby. Uh, you, you sound uh, a, a little disappointed, I guess, just when we thought that things were getting better. Now this. Yeah, that's the perfect curveball for sure. It's as it is, you know, remember, um, we did really well with Delta, and now it's a matter of attitude, you know, currently it's challenging, but uh, we just need to do it again. 
Uh, I, I'm just, well, I think it's, it's probably more difficult for people this time. The holidays are coming and people were kind of expecting a break. Yeah, only the virus doesn't care, no. It's this, I mean, this, um, uh, this variant, it's really, really concerning. We need to be aware of that. You know, there are still people out there who say, yeah, well, you know, we don't know enough and perhaps it's not that concerning. They simply don't understand the epidemiology of this thing. It's clear, you know, we took three to four weeks in uh, South Africa to take over from uh, from Delta. And we need to remember that that Delta took about three months to take over from Beta in uh, in South Africa. That's the variant they had before, which was about the same as Alpha. And it took about three months here in Ontario for Delta to take over from Alpha, meaning this thing is just much faster. And that's a fact. And we don't know all the details yet, but we can't assume that it's less severe. Um, right now, we have first hospitalization data coming in, which uh, doesn't look that exciting. And uh, we certainly need to be aware of it's more transmissible. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it possible that it's more transmissible uh, because of the conditions in South Africa and because so, such a small percentage is vaccinated? No, look, a lot of people there, unfortunately, had the infection. So we have obviously 25% only roughly of people uh, vaccinated. But, you know, probably 80% of people were infected. And that's a challenge. And so what we're seeing there is the vast majority of people have some immunity. And uh, this thing flourishes despite that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in in your opinion, it's it's already sort of confirmed or safe to say that it is more transmissible. Oh, absolutely. What we can't say is right now how much is the contribution of transmissibility and how much is the contribution of uh, of evading the immune system. And it doesn't matter whether you got immune through vaccine or through natural infection. There it seems to be, you know, based on everything we know, a partial capacity to do that at least. We don't understand how much is the contribution of these two aspects, but together it gives this virus an edge. We have heard some reports that the infections are less severe. Um, I've heard uh, reports uh, that it doesn't cause the loss of of taste and smell. Um, Are those reliable? No. So first of all, we need to be aware of that the uh, the age distribution in South Africa is much different from what we have here. We have here a lot more uh, people who are uh, elderly than uh, South Africans have. Uh, the other part is, yes, it could result in a different set of symptoms. We will find out about that later. What I find, you know, relatively concerning right now is just the first hospital statistics now that just came in. There was a clear increase in uh, hospital admissions uh, in the province of Gauteng, um, where this all started just uh, one or two weeks ago. This just came in. So uh, I wouldn't hope for this thing being less serious. I hope it's not more serious. Uh- was there a breakdown in those numbers of, of ICU admissions? No, we don't know anything right now. What I'm just aware of, and this just came in late this news, that the hospital admissions went up by uh, roughly, uh, they, they've roughly uh, tripled uh, within a week or so, which just, uh, yeah, just means, of course, it's associated with the case growth, and we don't know yet what this means in detail. Is it Will it be the same relative to the number of cases? Will it be more people admitted? We'll find out as we go. Uh, one of the things I've been trying to get to the bottom of, I mean, it seems to me that there are, you know, very opposing ideas about how effective travel bans are, and that uh, some of those ideas seem to me to be political. So well, what is your view of that? Uh, my view is that there's no scientific consensus. That's the point. Um, uh, when you look at the evidence, the evidence is absolutely mixed. It's not completely clear. What is clear and very probably have consensus is that control of the border is extremely important right now, meaning if we have people who are in high-risk countries, and high-risk right now could mean the entire African continent, let's face it, um, that these people really just get a test when they arrive, another test probably after seven days or so. We don't know what the time frames will be, and they will need to quarantine in between, and we need to make sure that, this, that the quarantining uh, really happens consistently. So that's for sure the case, that that's how we can modify the risk. 
whether a travel ban, you know, A, is feasible uh, for more countries than what happens right now, and B, actually makes a difference, that will remain controversial. There is no consensus. Okay, so we've banned, I think, seven countries in Southern Africa, even though the cases that we have found here uh, were people coming from Nigeria that's not on the list. So... You see, that's the point. What we know, based on growth curves that were modeled, that around November the 10th, already 20% of the cases in South Africa were caused by Omicron. Okay, So this means since November the 10th, this virus that is so transmissible has had ample possibilities to spread through the African continent. Only we don't know why, because most African countries don't have a surveillance system, because they simply don't have the logistics, infrastructure funding, etc. And this shows again once more, you know, if we let these countries down, Everybody pays for it eventually, you know, it's we, we basically just uh, sabotage everybody, including people in those countries, but also ourselves. Uh, Israel has banned all foreigners. Is that an overreaction in your opinion or is that smart? Well, you're, again, you know, it's Israel being Israel. I mean, this is always pol- a political decision. The point is, it is most likely already too late. That's the issue. What we will see now, and this depends mostly on how fit the surveillance system is, more and more cases popping up everywhere in the world. That's happening. And we will see in a few days how to handle this. And uh, now it's about, you know, how you interpret the precautionary principle. And Israel does it this way. That's, uh, I think that's very specific for them. That's not something you could do uh, just everywhere. Japan did something similar, no, right now. Um, it's probably not something which would be feasible here. What worries me here is mostly right now the land border with the U.S. How so? Yeah, well, you know, we just uh, right now there was this uh, intention. We are all surprised now, you know, that we just dropped the uh, the PCR tests, and we just need to be aware of that. You know, the the reason that the first two cases were detected in Ontario is really because our surveillance system is working well. I would bet a lot, you know, that we already would have probably quite a lot of cases that we could detect in the U.S. Only nobody knows. And we just need to be very careful. We don't only have, you know, airplanes coming in, etc. We also have a very long land border and we need to, uh, to do something about it. But obviously this is, uh, you know, beyond just uh, Ontario, but uh, this will need to be looked at. Okay, Dr. Uni, we only have a few seconds left. What would you like to leave us with? Well, we're in a much better position than, uh, you know, a few months ago when Delta came and Alpha came, etc. We have vaccines, we have therapies. Get vaccinated, get your third shot, stop overthinking any of that. You know, we all need to get as immune as we can when this thing enters the province. Okay, Dr. Peter Uni, thank you so much for explaining that to uh, to us. Uh, I appreciate it very much. Thanks a lot for having me again. Okay, bye-bye. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.